Today's program is brought to you by Ad Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas, the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization Share Our Strength. Listen at strength.org slash passion. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Greetings and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher. I'm also known as the Food Healer, and I am really, really excited about today's show. We are going to be speaking with Todd Blackledge, who's professor and Luchtad Endowed Chair at the University of Akron, all about spiders and their webs. Um, this is a topic that I'm really curious about because I know nothing about spiders, and I especially know nothing about their webs. So I hope you're as excited as I am, and I just want to get started. So, Todd, are you there? I am. Thank Hello. you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm so excited about this episode. I'm, like, freaking out in the studio here. <laughs> well, it's great to be able to talk with you about some of my favorite critters on the planet. This is something that it's like, you know, it's so funny because the reactions that I've gotten when people have heard I'm doing a spider show really range from, like, sheer excitement, and they're so thrilled to other people that are just like, ah, spiders! So I'm hoping we can get some fans out of the people that have a little bit of arachnophobia. So I'm counting on you to help me do that, if that's okay with you. No problem. Okay. We'll make it happen. That sounds perfect. Thank you. So, I just want to get started. My first question for you is, I'm really excited to learn about spiders because I know so little about them. What are spiders most closely related to in the animal kingdom? So, spiders are arthropods. They're in that big group of animals that includes insects, but they're most closely related to creatures like scorpions and ticks and mites. That makes sense. It's because of the exoskeleton, huh? Exactly. The jointed legs for arthropods. Ah, my Latin is terrible. So whenever I hear these things, it's like, ooh. (laughs) So how long have spiders been on the planet? The oldest fossils we have of spiders are just under 400 million years old. So that was towards the beginning of the Devonian and long before the dinosaurs. Wow. And were they the same size back then? Were they giant spiders roaming the land? Well, there were large spiders in prehistoric times, but there were never giant spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still pretty big spiders in the world today. You know, some of the tarantulas in tropical regions can have legs that span a dinner plate, for instance. Holy cow. Jeez. So, do you have any idea how many different types of spiders there are on the planet? Nobody actually knows the answer to that because we're still discovering new species every single day. Oh, wow. So there's about 60,000 different species, different kinds of spiders that we know exist. Wow. And scientists estimate that there's maybe another 40 to 60,000 remaining to be discovered, mostly in faraway places in tropical forests Mm -hmm. and and environments like that. That's amazing. God. And then... 
what is the typical lifespan of a spider? The only information I have is like from Charlotte's Web. So in my book, they all well, live for a season. You know, Charlotte's Web is not that inaccurate. So most of the spiders that you're going to see in your daily life mm-hmm. live one season. Okay. Um, the the exceptions are going to be things like tarantulas and trapdoor spiders. Some of those can live literally for years and years and years. In captivity, there are certain species of tarantulas that might live for 15 years. Wow. But if you see a spider, it's a pretty safe assumption that it's only going to live for one season. Now, you mentioned living in captivity. Do you think spiders would make a good pet for someone? They make a great pet for people that aren't terrified of them. They're (laughs) really easy to take care of. Uh, Most spiders have a very low metabolism, so they rarely have to eat. They're the kind of pet that you can leave in their cage and forget about and then come back and they'll still be alive. Oh, wow. And then is there any, I mean, whenever people see spiders and like they kind of feel the same way, it's, I feel like they're like loners, but do they have a social structure? So most spiders really are loners. They're roaming around in the world looking for food, and except when they're motivated to mate, if they see another spider, that's just a potential food item or a potential predator. There are a few groups of spiders that form societies that actually cooperate with one another, and some of them can build giant webs and catch insects that are much, much larger than themselves by cooperating with one another. That's really Um, cool. Some of these social spiders... There's even evidence that different individuals in the colonies show different kinds of personalities that help to basically equip them for different jobs in the colony. That's amazing. And then what are their mating habits like? Well, the mating habits of spiders are pretty diverse and pretty amazing. You get everything from just a brief interaction between the male and the female where the male might try to do some sort of vibratory courtship because they mostly feel the world around them rather than using vision. Mm -hmm. And if the female likes it, she'll let him copulate to males that might cohabit in a female's web and guard her for a long period of time. There are amazing that males employ to entice the female. There are, there are some species where males will actually commit what's called sexual suicide during mating. As part of the ritual of courting the female, they will fall into a catatonic state and be consumed by the female. And if they don't do that, she won't use their sperm to fertilize her eggs. Oh, wow. So it's a really, really varied world out there for spider mating. I know. I kind of hate to like ask you these broad questions because since there are so many different kinds of spiders, I feel like... You know, asking for like ballpark answers is almost cheating on this, but I'm not sure the, the correct way to really do that since there are so many different kinds. You know, well, that's a that's a good point because you know people tend to think of spiders as this sort of very uniform type of creature, but they've been around 400 million years. There's 60,000 species. That means they're way more diverse than mammals. They've had a lot more time to evolve many different lifestyles, many different strategies than mammals have. Mm -hmm. So all these questions, you know, if you were asking, well, what are the mating habits of mammals like? Exactly. People wouldn't be quite as taken aback that there's variety there. Exactly. And that's where even writing these questions, I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be kind of hard. And I feel sorry for Todd because these are such, you know, broad general questions. But I appreciate you answering them. Oh, it's fun. So, 
How big is the largest spider on the planet, and what does it eat? So typically, the the largest spider is said to be Theraphosa blondi, the Goliath bird-eating spider. It's a very large tarantula from the northeast corner of South America. Yikes. It can weigh just over a pound. It has a an abdomen that's about the size of a tennis ball for a really large individual. Oh, my God. And they are called bird-eating spiders, but they typically are going to be eating really large insects and creatures that are crawling around on the ground rather than birds. Do they? Will they eat like a mouse or a shrew or something like that if they get the chance? A spider that large? Yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's not a lot of spiders that will eat vertebrate animals, mice and lizards, but they're... Tarantulas are definitely one group where that happens, mm-hmm. and the black widow spiders are another good example of spiders that actually can eat small lizards and mice and snakes and things like that. Wow. And so, are, I mean, another you know, broad general question, are most spiders carnivores or are all of them carnivores? So essentially all spiders are carnivores. That's one of the things that makes them interesting to me as a scientist is you have this really diverse ancient group of animals, but they're all predators essentially of insects. There's a few exceptions here and there. Uh, Some of the web-building spiders, their sticky silk will catch pollen that's floating through the air. And there's some questions, is that just sort of an incidental byproduct or not? And there's one species of wandering spider that doesn't build a web to catch food, but will actually drink uh, nectar from flowers. Well, not from flowers, but from plants. Uh And that seems to be an important part of their diet. They don't survive as well without that nectar. And so if they are in a situation, let us I, I don't know where these guys are from, but I'm going to pretend they're from like a jungle. So if they have trouble finding that um, pollen, then there's going to be issues, huh? Just for that one species, for everybody else, you can pretty much think of them as predators of insects and other arthropods. Okay, cool. And then, I don't know, I'm so fascinated by these things. In terms of movement in spiders, I mean... It's the type of thing that I've, when I've watched spiders in webs, they kind of they have like a zigzag pattern. Is that something that is typically found in spiders? Is that, that like sporadic or that like funky movement that they do? That is pretty typical of spiders, and it's related to how they breathe. So they ventilate through something called book lungs, which are these openings in their abdomen that let air come into their body into something that kind of looks like the the leaves or the the pages of a book, basically, Mm -hmm. so that the air can circulate around. And those will close sometimes when they're running. And so they can't keep moving their hemolymph, that's a fancy word for spider blood, around their body with oxygen in it. And so they have to run a little bit, breathe, run a little bit, and breathe. Wow. Wow, that was, I was not expecting you to say that. That's pretty amazing. You would think that at this point in their evolution that they wouldn't have this issue, you know? Well, they're very good. Most spiders are very good at a low-energy lifestyle. They mm-hmm. can sit and wait for a long, long time waiting for some little prey insect to come by. They don't use a lot of energy the way we do, just sitting around with their basal metabolism. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it seems like a disadvantage in that context. 
but it's a real advantage for a spider to be able to just sit in the environment and wait until it finally gets lucky and finds food. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. And that we had mentioned before, I've heard, I don't know if this is a rumor or not, is it true that spiders are deaf? Spiders are deaf in the sense of how we hear sound, but some spiders are exquisitely good at feeling their environment and feeling sounds through their external bodies. They don't have an internal ear the way we do, Mm -hmm. but they have these very fine, thin hairs coming out of their exoskeleton that will vibrate in response to sound and air movement. And that will allow the spider to basically hear their environment with their body. They also are very, very, very good at feeling vibration coming through the substrate, through the ground, Mm -hmm. through the trees they're standing on. So they don't necessarily hear you walking through the forest, but they're going to feel the vibrations of your footsteps long before you ever see them. And what's their eyesight like? Spider eyesight, for the most part, they have eight eyes, but it's usually not very advanced vision compared to what we think of for ourselves. So most spiders probably don't really see color, and they probably don't really form particularly good images of their environment. Mm -hmm. These eight eyes are doing different tasks like just sensing light and dark or acting as a motion detector. I saw movement on the left side of your body. Pay attention to that side of your body, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, there are some notable exceptions. Probably the one most people are familiar with are jumping spiders. You know, these are cute little spiders that have very large eyes on the front of their heads, mm-hmm. and they're visual hunters. They have color vision. They actually have a unique strategy to um, form depth perception, even though their eyes are very, very close on their head so they they have high visual acuity like we do as well but they're really the exception to the rule that spiders are not really relying on vision the way we do that's so cool and are those the guys like i've seen some pretty amazing videos and i'm guessing that this the jumping spiders are the ones that like they really look like they they look like a cartoon character they've got like these two giant eyes if you see a zoom in of them um and they look like something that a child drew. Is that what the, is that them? So there's really probably three groups of spiders you've seen with big, giant front eyes. There's okay. the jumping spiders. Uh, you might have seen pictures of wolf spiders and some of their relatives. They're also fairly visual hunting creatures. Mm-hmm. And then the, the last one, they're called net-casting spiders. They're actually a nocturnal spider from the tropics, and they build a little web that they hold in their front legs. And they use their very large front eyes to see, essentially see in the dark. They're very, very sensitive to, to light compared to our own eyes. And they're able to use that then to see insects walking by and push that silky net down on top of them. Oh, that's wild. Wow. I had no idea. This is, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm so excited about this, and I'm so speechless because, the, like I said, I don't know anything about them, and everything you're telling me is absolutely fascinating. But unfortunately, we have to take a break at this moment. So I am talking to Todd Blackledge, professor in Luchtag Endowed Chair at the University of Akron, all about spiders and their webs. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk all about their webs, so just stay tuned.
Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas, the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization Share Our Strength, brings together your favorite chefs and amazing social innovators to discuss how food impacts almost every major issue you care about, your health, your environment, and your children's ability to learn. Uplifting stories from chefs like Michelin star winner Jose Andres. People want our respect. People don't want our dirty shoes and our old pens. People want us to show up and show them that they really matter to us. And top chef winner Brian Voltaggio. Hunger has many different faces. You can walk down the street every day and see children playing in the playground. They're hungry. They don't know where they're going to get their next meal. They don't know if they're going to have dinner. Can be heard at strength.org slash passion. You can help change the world by changing the way we think about food. Listen at strength.org slash passion. That's strength.org slash passion. And we are back talking to Todd Blackledge, professor in Luchberg and Dowd chair at the University of Akron, Ohio, all about spiders and their webs. So we talked about spiders, so now we're going for the webs. Let's see. So what are spider webs made out of? So spider webs are made out of silk. And silk is basically a protein fiber. It's made out of the same basic building blocks as your hair, your skin, your fingernails. But the molecules inside those proteins are designed in a way that makes some spider silks the toughest materials in the natural world. Wow. Wow. Well, I've definitely walked through a couple in the woods, and it's definitely pretty intense. <laughs> it's definitely something. They're a lot stronger than I assumed they were, you know. So Right. Well, that, that little thread in a spider web when you're walking through the woods might be a hundred times thinner than your own hair. Wow. Yet you can feel the force as you're breaking through that web mm-hmm. because the material is so strong. And so, like, how sturdy is a typical web? How strong is a typical web? I know. So this, this is, is so broad. This is so broad. Because it's so general there. There's a lot of different kinds of webs out there, but what most people are probably thinking of is something called an orb web. Mm-hmm. The web that looks kind of like that classic Halloween web, like a, a wagon wheel shape with a spiral of sticky, gluey silk put down on it. Mm-hmm. So that web is made out of a material that is tougher than any other material in nature. That means that it takes more energy, more work to rip apart those silk threads and break them. But like I said, they're very, very fine. Yeah. So you can physically walk through the web, but a small insect flying along through the air is going to hit that web and have its flight stopped almost instantaneously in a quarter of a second. Its flight will be stopped. And Mm -hmm. if the silk is sticky enough, and adheres in just the right way, then the spider's going to be able to run out on that web and grab its meal. Otherwise, the insect will be able to fly free. Makes sense. And what other kind of webs are there besides, like, the typical Halloween web? There are a whole variety of webs out there. So if you think about what you might just find walking around on the street or in your yard in the morning, Mm -hmm. there will be these orb webs. There's also going to be a variety of what are called sheet webs, and some of them will have very stereotyped shapes. So there's going to be funnel web spiders that build a sheet that goes down into a little funnel that leads them into a safe little crevice where they can wait for insects to hit the web. 
There are a variety of other sheet webs that will just kind of be laid down on bushes or on the ground. There are webs that consist of nothing more than a few silk trip wires leading out of a burrow in the ground. Oh, wow. Um, go in your basement, and there are what are called cobwebs. Mm-hmm. Right, these they look like very chaotic mishmashes of silk to most people, but to a spider biologist, we can actually see an enormous amount of order and complexity in those cobwebs. That's and that just scratches the surface. Wow, really. I mean, it, that's what blows my mind is just the geometry of the webs. You know, they're so beautiful and they're so complicated. It's amazing to me that you know anything is capable of making these, let alone a spider. You know. Well, one of the, you know, you think about a typical orb web, and it's got literally hundreds of connections between different silk threads that the spider has to make correctly to make that very geometric-looking web. Mm -hmm. And, of course, spiders have very small brains, but most of that process, that behavior of building that web is is repeating a few behavioral movements over and over again. So they just have to get that sequence correct Mm -hmm. then build the whole proper looking web and for god i I wish i could think of like just one okay for the typical orb webs like how long does it normally take a spider to make one of those and how long do they last an orb web is actually a very ephemeral web type so the spider is building it one day and then either it gets destroyed or they take it down and they rebuild it again. Wow. So if you've ever had the experience of, you know, walking down a trail in a park and then you come back on the return and suddenly there's a spider web in your face that wasn't there before, mm-hmm. that was probably an orb web that was built while you were just taking that short little hike. Other kinds of webs, spiders might take several days to build, like mm-hmm. a cobweb, for instance. They're going to start building it one day and then add to it for several more days and use it for a long period of time. So oh, cool. there's really a variety of strategies out there. It's it's just amazing to me. It really is. And I mean, spider webs are something that are just so absolutely beautiful as well. You know, it's just the complexity of it. And just to like, you know, one of my favorite things if, when I go hiking is in the morning is when you find them and they're covered in dew. I mean, they're exquisite. They're so beautiful. Absolutely. So, you know, spider, that's one of the best ways to see a web. And spider biologists, we have a little trick to be able to see these very, very thin threads of silk. We dust webs with cornstarch. And you could actually do this yourself if you just put a little cornstarch in an old sock and just find a web you're interested in and tap the sock and you get this fine mist of of starch drifting over the threads. Oh, cool. Cool. And that way you can really, really see it a lot more easily, I would assume. Right. And so, do all spiders build webs? All spiders make silk threads. Okay. But most spiders actually aren't using them to make webs to catch food. Instead, they're using the silk as a drag line, a lifeline as they're moving around in the environment. If they fall, they can pull themselves back up that thread. Or maybe to make a silk retreat or a tent, essentially, for when they have to molt and shed their old exoskeleton. Or to just swath up their eggs if they're a female reproducing. Wow. We know that all spiders produce silk, but fewer than half of them actually use that silk to make webs that are catching their food. 
And like, does a black widow have a web? Black widows are a cobweb building spider. So they do have this kind of tangly looking web. It has actually a sheet of silk Mm -hmm. that the spider hangs off of. And then what are called sticky gum foot threads coming down from that sheet of silk to the ground. And they look just like a long, straight thread with a little foot that has glue droplets on it. Oh, cool. And that foot is attached to the ground with a special silk joint that will break under very low force. So as soon as an insect walks along and touches that glue, Mm -hmm. it sticks to the thread. The thread breaks away from the ground. And tension in that thread can actually lift the, the prey up into the web. Oh, wow. Some serious booby trap action going on. It's amazing. It is. And, you know, if you surf the, the Internet web at all, you'll be able to find lots of pictures of black widows with little mice and snakes and lizards in their webs. And probably these spring-loaded sticky gum foot threads are one of the reasons they're able to catch those kinds of big large prey i'll tell you i was in brazil a couple years ago and there are a lot of tarantulas in brazil and we saw a couple just kind of like you know in their natural habitat and i mean these things are they look like they look like a child's toy they look like something that like nerf came out with or something they're so big they it was almost like a puppet watching this thing you know and it's just cruising down the street like in the afternoon it was unbelievable i've never seen anything like it Right. Well, if you go out in the southwestern United States at the right time of the year, you'll see it's sometimes called a migration of tarantulas, but it's really just the male tarantulas leaving their burrows and searching for females. So chances are good if you were out during the day and you saw a tarantula wandering around, Uh it was probably a male looking for a female because the females are going to be staying safe in their burrows and their retreats during the day. And are the males, like, bigger than the females? Like, can you distinguish sex pretty easily by just looking at them? Most of the time you can distinguish the sex of a spider pretty easily because the female's going to be bigger than the male. Oh, okay. Um, It's an advantage for the female to be really big because she can produce more eggs. Mm -hmm. In the case of tarantulas, they're pretty similar to each other, but the males are a little skinnier bodied and a little longer legged. They're built more for walking around in the environment and searching for the females. That's funny. The females are going to be a little chunkier. (laughs) A little more shapely, as we like to say. Sure, if you want to be diplomatic about it. Why not? I mean, what the hell, you know? So... I have to ask you this question because a lot of people, when they heard I was doing this show, I got either two reactions. The majority of people were like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And then there were a couple of people who were kind of like, ooh, spiders, ah. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're going to try to debunk them a little bit here and make them less scary. But almost every single person asked me to please ask you about an experiment that was done years ago. I think it was a university experiment where they took a bunch of different spiders and they gave them different drugs and then had them build webs. Um, Um, I'm assuming you know about this study, if I do, but what do you think about that? So this was work done by Peter Witt Mm -hmm. a long time ago, and he was originally trying to study web-building behaviors of spiders. But because they built their webs right before dawn, you know, three or four in the morning, they weren't the most convenient animals to work with. Mm. So he asked some of his pharmacology friends for some different types of drug stimulants that might change when they were building their webs. 
And he found that it didn't just change when they built the webs, but it also changed how they built the webs, the shapes of the webs. And mm-hmm. so he got very interested in that, that question. And, you know, at that time, people's perceptions of the cognitive abilities of arthropods, spiders, and insects, things like that, was really this, that they're very autonomous creatures. They just sense something in their environment, and there's an automatic behavioral response that's hardwired and immutable. Mm-hmm. So figuring out that the web-building behaviors of these spiders responded to these drugs was actually a pretty big deal scientifically. Um, it makes for some really fun headlines, of course. Totally. And the the modern uh, permutation of this, the modern version of this kind of research, is thinking about, well, what are the effects of all the chemicals that we put into the environment on spider web-building, and what are the implications? So what are the non-target effects of pesticides or herbicides on how a spider builds its web and catches the same insects that you're trying to kill with your mm-hmm. pesticide. So what are you guys finding with that? So sometimes it matters. Of course, with all these types of questions, it's, it's going to be very dose-dependent, yeah. right? A very tiny amount might not matter. A little bit more is going to alter the web-building behavior and make a web that might become non-functional. Mm. And it's really about what the dosage is of a different a particular chemical. So with the, I mean, I don't know where we are in terms of pesticide use these days. I would assume we've increased, but I'm hoping that we've actually gone down since like the 70s or 80s because people know they're so dangerous. But so, I mean, the pesticide industry has got to be a real threat to spiders because it's directly affecting their food. Well, that's one way to think about it. If you're thinking about agro-ecosystems, you're probably not concerned about maintaining the population of spiders unless you're thinking of them as a biocontrol agent, as part of the ecosystem that's controlling your pests that are eating your crop. Mm -hmm. So that might not be a major concern in an agricultural field. Right. Um, But there is actually a lot of interest in how good spiders are at biocontrol of pest insects. Yeah. And can we move away from the the sort of petroleum-based pesticide approach to controlling pests to something that's a little more mimicking natural ecosystems? And there's some real challenges there because, you know, spiders are very good predators of insects. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, they tend to very generalize what they see as prey, and they'll even see other spiders as totally Mm. acceptable prey. So you always have to weigh if you introduce spiders into, say, an agricultural field, are they going to eat the pests that you care about, or are they going to eat all the other spiders that might be eating the pests and actually make the situation worse? Oh, wow. It it can become very complex very quickly. Interesting. But in terms of like, I mean, it kind of, it reminds me of, you know, when everybody in the 70s went nuts and bought ladybugs and would throw them all over their gardens everywhere to try to reduce the aphid population. You know, if spiders could do that, it would just be so much better for everybody. Right. And there there are some things that can be done to promote the population of spiders in an agricultural field. So, for instance, if you make little spider retreats, there's been research done on, on looking at how if you build kind of like straw Mm-hmm. if you will, in the middle of a field, this will provide a retreat that a spider can go in. And then these are for wandering spiders. They'll move out from that retreat and forage on the crop plants and be able to protect themselves from their own predators in these little straw huts. And you can actually potentially improve 
uh, biocontrol that way. Wow. And so, I mean, you've been studying these guys for years. How smart do you think an average spider is? The average spider really probably isn't that smart, certainly not compared to human standards. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are, are some impressive examples of spider cognition, ability to, to basically process information and, and problem solve. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite example is this wonderful jumping spider called Portia from um, Asia and Australia. And this is a specialist that hunts other spiders. Oh, wow. So they specialize on sneaking into the webs of other spiders and killing the web owner. And they have been shown to do things like plan out detour routes. Oh, wow. So they can actually move out of sight of their target spider and come up from behind and attack. Or move stealthily through the web using the wind to their advantage. So... The spider that's in the web is using vibration to, to feel what's going on mm-hmm. there. And when the wind blows, that's kind of like noise in the environment. It makes it harder to feel what's going on. Wow. So Portia will sneak into the web, wait for a breeze, move forward. Then when it's calm, they'll freeze and wait for another breeze and move forward until they can get to their target, which is pretty amazing tactics. Seriously, it's, it. it's amazing. I mean, it's like... This is, I mean, I'm going to go out and, like, pick up a bunch of books on spiders. I'm so, you've got me so hooked right now. I'm so interested in this. And I just, you know, like I said, a lot of times spiders get a really, really bad rap. And it's like, oh, my God, scary thing. Kill it, kill it. But it's, you know, the fact of the matter is, is as far as I'm concerned, I think that they're a really, really important addition to the planet. And I'm hoping I'm right. I think all animals have a job. And I think that spiders, you know, if we didn't have spiders, I'm assuming that, you know, we would just have that many more insects and it would just be that much more difficult. Absolutely. And, you know, in Western society, we are kind of trained from infancy to be scared of spiders. We have, you know, little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet and get scared by a spider Mm -hmm. and stories like that. If you look at other societies, that's not necessarily the case. In other societies, their stories and their mythology will actually portray spiders in a much more positive light. You know, they're very creative animals, very industrious animals for building these incredible webs. Um, Anansi, for instance, the spider trickster in some African uh, mythology, for instance, is a much more positive example of spiders than what we're used to in our kind of Western society. Now, I might be wrong, but I think I think there's a group of Native Americans that believe that the whole creation myth was that cre- everything was made by a spider. That's quite possible. When you, I, I don't know for certain myself, but I should certainly look into that because you think about spiders building webs; they're creating a structure from nothing basically they're really a very just, intricate beautiful structure there's just so amazing and i mean the webs are so beautiful it's something that it's always been something that if i've seen one i always have to stop and take a look at it because it's i mean you know i can't knit i can't crochet and something able to do something like that to me is just absolutely fascinating and so i give them major props for being this organized and being able to do this sort of thing well, absolutely, and they're doing it under a lot of pressure because if they don't do that right, they don't get to eat their dinner. Oh, God, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And so, I mean, what drew you into this? What fascinates you about spiders? 
so much fascinates me about spiders, but I think I'm most interested in how spiders evolved this incredible toolkit of different kinds of silks. So we didn't really talk about it, but a single spider might produce seven different types of silk fibers. Some of them are going to be ounce for ounce stronger than steel. Others are going to be almost as stretchy as a rubber band. Wow. And they're able to produce these incredible materials on demand from their bodies in real time. And all of our high-performance fibers, Kevlar, nylon, things like that, mm-hmm. you know, we use really caustic, nasty chemicals, high temperatures, a lot of energy to produce these materials. Yeah. And so I'm really interested in understanding how spiders can do what you can almost think of as the ultimate in green chemistry and making this toolkit of silk threads. This is so cool. I mean, this is, I love the fact that they can make them at will. And it's like, no, I need this one today. You know, it's wow. And then for you, what about spider webs? What, what is it about spider webs that gets to you? Well, one of the things that I really think is great about webs is that they're a record of the spider's behavioral decisions for that day. When a spider builds a web, it's deciding how much silk to put into that web, where to build the web, precisely what shape, because they can actually vary the shape of their web a little Mm -hmm. bit in response to their environment. And all of this kind of complex decision-making ends up being captured in a web that you can see and touch and feel and photograph. And for me as a scientist, I can even go and manipulate the web, change its shape, for instance, and ask, how does this influence the outcome? How does it change what kind of insects that spider's going to catch? And I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, that's cool. And so, okay, normal person, la, 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 taking a walk, DDD, sees a spider web. What should they do? Well, they should just stop and enjoy the web. Take a look at it. See if they can find the spider that built it. That's often a real challenge because spiders are experts at hiding because so many other animals out there are trying to eat them. Mm. Um, but mostly just enjoy it. Maybe go ahead and touch it. Not yeah. going to hurt you. See just how strong those silk threads are. It's really just... There's such a there's such a special little addition to the planet, you know? They're just so cool, and they're... I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to speak with me because this is really a topic. Like I said, I want to make spiders, you know, less is something that people see and go, ah, and kind of, you know, have some interest to and go to and really start to understand how special these guys are. Well, they are really amazing. And even if you do go, ah, when you see them, as long as you take the time to just look at them and be curious about them, I think that's still okay. That's cool. And so for anyone, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I know that there are going to be people contacting me about where they can find out more information. Are there any websites that you think are more accurate than others or that you like for finding out information about spiders? So there's several websites for different scientific societies that study spiders. There's the American Arachnological Society website and the International Society of Arachnology. Mm-hmm. In terms of books, one of the best starting places is actually the Golden Guide to Spiders. Oh, cool. You know, you can get that at any bookstore or off Amazon, places like that, Mm -hmm. and it's inexpensive, and it's a fantastic introduction. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I've really learned a lot, and you've definitely got me 
so much more curious. And I apologize about all these broad answers, but you answered them like a pro. Thank you so much. Oh, it was really fun. I appreciate it. Oh, I really enjoyed this, Todd. And, uh, you know, I would love to talk to you in the future about more of this stuff because it's so fascinating. It's, you know, the web itself, you, you got me on the seven different kinds of web material. I mean, that's... I just assumed they could do one. You know, I just figured it's like, oh, I'm a spider and I make a web and this is my silk and that's it. I didn't realize it was, you know, different occasions call for different materials. Absolutely. It's pretty amazing. That's so cool. So, Todd, thank you again for speaking to me. We have spoken to Todd Blackledge all about arachnids, which are spiders. Um, Thank you again. I've really, really enjoyed this show, and I've learned an awful lot. Uh, for everybody else, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Animal Instinct Radio. Find me on Facebook at Animal Instinct. Look for the cat with purple or yellow hair. And I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.